we have been looking at, <clears throat> I've been in this a little while, and I'm going to be in it a lot, lot longer, but we have been looking at the principle of brokenness. And we've already covered most of the description of that principle, but here's the principle. Anything great that God has ever done or ever will do is through a broken life. You can go through your Old Testament, go through to that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and, and just mark check them. The brokenness that had to be. And So the last time we were here, last time I was here, we we covered some illustrations of brokenness. And we talked about the planting of the seed, remember? In John chapter 12, Jesus said the seed has to die for the for the fruit to be produced. And that's Anybody that's ever fooled around with a show and tell with a bean seed in a cup knows that. That's the way it works. I was I was reading on uh, Decalb has a premium corn. You plant one seed, and if I multiplied it outright. You get 2,800 seeds back for one seed planted. That's that is that's what Jesus was saying. I'm not going to go back over that, but the seed dies, the plant grows, and Decab says that their seed will produce 13 rows of kernels on every cob. And there will be four, four uh, ears on every stalk for one seed. That's a lot of seed. <clears throat> so, that but that's that's exactly what Jesus was saying in John chapter twelve. The seed has to die. In fact, he said this: Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. That's John twelve twenty four, And Jesus said it. We talked about the plowing of the soil. I got my heart full of over in Isaiah chapter number 28. He talked about the breaking of every clod on the field so that uh, that soil can receive the seed and produce the fruit. And Oh, what a study that is. Lord really blessed me. We have mentioned it. I don't know if we've been there. You may, you, if you want to, just turn over here with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. In Jeremiah 18, we have the picture of the, the illustration of the potter and the clay. I'll just start reading in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, 
go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, plural wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. And I'll stop. Well, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And I'll stop reading right there. <clears throat> There's just some things I'd like to say about it. First of all, there's no blueprint for the vessel on the wheel. The vessel on the wheel comes out of the mind of the potter. God's will comes out of God himself. You can't draw a diagram for what you're going to be to be in the will of God. What you can do is allow him to put you on the wheel and his will will be worked his way. It may not like it sometimes. See, when they throw that clay on the wheel, it says the wheels. In that day, the potter kicked the bottom wheel to turn the top wheel. And the clay goes on the wheel. It's just dug out of the raw earth. And, and if you look at it, the potter wrought a work. The clay does nothing. It's a work. It all, the vessel is in the mind of the potter. You, you go down to a pottery shop, and every potter, you know, some, I, you all ever watch... Uh, what they call that show where the antique antique road show. If you watch it very much, some of those old clay pots are worth a lot of money. Some of them are worth nothing. It depends on who the potter was. If it's got the right signature on it, it may be worth a lot of money. But if it's if it's a no name, I mean. To me, they look about the same. Don't they to you? But it depends on who the potter is, the value of the vessel. Y'all getting that? He said, I'm the potter. You're just the clay. The next thing I wanted to say is when he throws that clay on the wheel, the, fa the father, the potter, has to put his hands. The, the vessel is not made from the outside in. The vessel is made from the inside out. Over in Psalm 51, there's a verse that we'll look at to go with that. <clears throat> 
Verse 6 says, Verse 5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. I hope to get to that next week, but uh, but so here's the clay on the wheel and the potter's kicking the wheel and the play's turning and it all begins in the hand of the potter. He puts his hand in the clay and the, and the capacity of the vessel and the ability of the vessel is formed as the potter puts his hand in, in the clay. It's formed on the inside. But as he forms that vessel, he feels every impurity in the clay. And you know, he has to stop, take, pull out the straw or the rock or whatever it is to make the vessel. It's all in the work of the potter. Some of us have had to back up a few times in our life and let him remake. You know, we're going along on our pattern and all of a sudden the vessel is marred in the hand of the potter and he has to remake it. And sometimes it's not pleasant when he remakes. You know, that May I just share that Ansem has been uh, worked on by the potter and this last few weeks he's been, first he uh, hit bottom and he knew that uh, he had to change. That was the bottom, the breaking. Then he went for help and now he's gone to a halfway house in the, uh, near Athens and he was saved, he was baptized last Sunday at uh, Rock Hill Baptist Church in Brown, Brownsboro. Good. And so That's a blessing. And I thank you all so much for the prayers. Uh, let, me, let me put in a comma. Just because you're not at a halfway house and just because you haven't hit bottom does not mean that the potter is not working in you. Every one of us need the potter's hand. Right. I mean, after years of seniority at the church, CR, we still need the potter. Right. And, uh, and he has to do a work. But the song said he doesn't throw the clay away. What he does is he smashes and crashes and remakes the vessel. Right. And that's what's happened there. But that's what happens if we're successful as, as a vessel. That's what he's going to have to do with us. And sometimes we get to thinking, we get to looking at ourselves as that vessel of honor that Timothy talks about when all the time down inside he, he needs to do a work in us. 
I want to say this kindly, but I want to say it. This church needs an inside work from the hand of the potter. If we ever become what God wants us to be as a church, it has to happen on the inside of the vessels that sit on these pews. We, are ten, we tend to look at an Anson and say, boy, he needed that. But it might be that we got a few stones in us. Might be that there's a... Remember, I said that he wanted us to... He gave everything in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. He gave everything to cracked pots. Remember that? At the ves- so the vessel started in the mind of the potter. Now it's in the hands of the potter. And it's transferred to the clay when the capacity is there. When the, when the leaks are stopped. When the, when the uh, formation of the inside's done, then there begins to be some stature and character and beauty on the outside that says, I am a light off the light of the world. I am a I am a candle on the candlestick and I can shine some light when I've been in the hands of the potter. He had, he may have to remake me before I can be what he wants me to be. I love that song Gaither's You know, Gloria Gaither wrote that. She drove up in her, here's her testimony of that song. She drove up in the, in the yard and there's that little blonde-headed girl playing in the mud out there in the yard having a big time. And she wrote that song, He's Still Working On Me. We need to keep it in that perspective. He's still working on me. It'll take a breaking of what we thought we were if the potter gets his way in our vessel. So, I'm going, I'm, I'm trying to move through this. I've got another place to go and then another place to go. Over to John chapter 15. We're still talking about the illustrations of brokenness. So that potter's wheel, he said, I I can crush you and remake you and make you valuable to myself only when you'll let the potter have his hand on the clay. Uh, Now let's go to John 15. Verse number 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch, who's who's speaking here? That's one of the. That's one. You got to know that, brother John told us that. You got to know who's speaking if you're going to understand your scriptures. Who is speaking? Jesus. Jesus is. 
I, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. Thirty years ago, Susie and I <coughs> flew down to Santiago, Chile. The missionary was there and picked us up. We went to his home. He was he was renting a place. I don't know if you know it or not, but most of the grapes you eat either come from Chile or Argentina. In America, most of our grapes come from one of those two places. Next time you're buying grapes, just look at the tag, see where it come from. It'll be one of those two places 90% of the time. We were in the heart of grape country in Santiago, Chile. The place they had rented was they had a bunch of kids, and they had uh, they were well qualified, Mark, and uh, that they uh, they had a big house, two story house, and it was kind of a big place for that city. But they had the house, then they had another apartment building back in the back. And some of the kids lived back there and some of them lived in the house. But all the property in, was all fenced. It had a big high fence around it. And they had poles in the ground ever so often. And the whole thing was strung with wire. And there were grapevines running over you anytime you walked out in the yard. There were grapevines running those on those wires and we got there in October I think it was but it was uh, early spring for them that's on that's a southern hemisphere and October was spring down there they had snow on the ground a day or two while we were there but most days it was spring showers and flowers and it was just a beautiful place. But that that yard was a wreck. They had come in there and cut those grapevines back. There was nothing but just the vine running. There wasn't any branches at all. I, the guy was there taking the yard man or the vine grower or whatever you want. The husband man was there taking care of the grapes. I got to talk to him. He could understand English. And I asked him why they cut, cut them back so much. He said, we cut them back 
till the branch is this long. He said that branch has to be that that branch has to be that close to the vine. And he described the juices of the vine, the juices, the life juices of that grape vine running through the vines, and they didn't want to trans, they didn't want to lose the benefit of the juice with a long transfer branch. So they cut everything back that long. Every branch. This verse says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. Just because you're a church member, just because you've got a name on the roll, just because you've been baptized, just because you carry a Bible, don't expect that God's through with you. Over in Ephesians chapter 3, I think it is, it says that we are, we are saved and in His church to bring glory to the Lord, through, to bring glory to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you how much glory is He getting out of your life right now? You say, not much? Well, just get ready. He's going to cut you back. He's going to chop you off and get you where you can get some juice from the vine because he wants glory out of your life. It may mean a breaking. It may mean heartache and tears. But he wants he wants a, a close relationship between the vine Jesus said, I'm the vine. He wants that relationship close with, with the branches and the vine. If you don't believe that, read John, 1 John sometime. I mean, that's the whole objective. As we come into Christ, that's the whole objective. You, you see somebody that's disgruntled and... and defeated in their Christian life, you mark us down, they do not have a relationship with the vine. They have got too far out here and straggly and they're no longer getting fresh juice from the vine. And hey, the reason we come to church three times a week or more is to get a little juice from the vine, right? The reason we, reason we open our Bible every morning and pray and ask God to show us something fresh off the Word of God is to just get a little more juice off the vine. And unless the juice, I've got, I got three or four things. Verse 2 he says that we are to bear fruit. Verse 2 says the branch, every branch that bears fruit, he's going to purge it. Uh, every branch that does not bear fruit, he's going to take away. Verse 5 says, If you abide in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Not just fruit, but much fruit. And then down in verse number 16 he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go. We're fixing to have a mission conference. Our theme this year is 
the our theme phrase is to every nation. Our verse is Acts 1.8, you'll, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. What he's saying is you're going you're gonna to bring forth fruit and f- fruit that should remain and whatsoever you ask in the name of my Father, you're going to receive it as you become fruit bearers, as you have a relationship, as you abide in the vine. So, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. In fact, what I've said here is, if you read all of these verses about the abiding, it's a perpetual fruit. It's fruit that, fruit that endures, he says. Perpetual fruit. And verse number four says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot abide fruit in itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So if you're not abiding, you're not a fruit bearer. And... Uh, Verse number 11 says, These things have I spoken in you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Not only perpetual fruit, but there is celestial joy. It's a heavenly joy. Luke 15 talks about that uh, the sheep the lost sheep, the lost uh, coin, the lost boy, and then the other lost boy. Right? The lost brother. One of them is religiously lost. One of them is purposely lost. That, that coin is uselessly lost and the sheep is heedless, heedlessly lost. We've we heard that here a while back from somewhere. But, the, but, but Luke 15 says that the joy of heaven is when one lost soul, the sheep, the shepherd is bringing back the lamb that was lost, and he said, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And, and the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over the salvation of one lost soul. Peter said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if we're missing out on joy, how would you figure that out? How would you figure out how to have heavenly joy? Wouldn't it be this? Get out here and pass out Bibles or get down, go down the street knocking doors trying to find a lost soul that you can bring to Jesus. Because if they're rejoicing in heaven, hey, we're part of the heavenly band. We, we're, we're citizens of that country. Old, uh, I can't never remember his name. The songwriter that, that we all knew at one time or another, he said, Jimmy Davis. Huh? Jimmy Davis. No, not Jimmy Davis. No. Definitely not. Uh, 
they uh, they used to sing in their churches. I I still get an email from her once in a while. He's passed away. Huh? Flanagan's. Flanagan's. Brother Flanagan said in his song, he said, I'm already over on the other side waiting on my brand new body to be. And uh, that's us. We got saved. We're in heavenly places. We're already in heaven. I mean, you may not have seen it yet, but he said at that moment, we became, we were born from above, a nothing. You must be born a nothing from above. It's a, it's a work of God. That day, we moved out of citizenship here over to citizenship over there. And uh, one of these days, we'll see what we've got, what we're part of. But we're not living for this world. We're living for that world, right? So the joy there ought to be our joy. And that, that joy is settled as we become fruit bearers. That's how the, that's how the joy comes. He, he describes that. And he says, if you won't bear fruit, I'm going to have to break the branch off. That doesn't mean you lost your salvation. But he's going to trim you up a little closer and get you a little... Did y'all ever go get a switch? <laughs> you know, well, I found out <clears throat> the secret is get in real close when they're swinging that switch. <laughs> it's a lot safer closer you get. <laughs> So, fruit bearing and joy and down in verse number 7 he said if you abide in me my words abide in you you'll ask what you will and it'll be done unto you. You can have, a, you can have an effective prayer life an effectual prayer as a fruit bearer as a as a joyful Christian as a as a as an abiding branch in the vine. And then I love this down in verse nine. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's a it's a phileo love. It's a family love. It's it's so uh, here I'll give you another Gaither song. I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad. Susie and I we have no parents, no aunts, uncles, we're down to just us and our kids. But you know what? Uh, in November, I, I had a little girl call me uh, a month ago. In November, I'll be down in Lufkin 
at a wedding. And my step-granddaughter that I found that's in the Lord's family with me called me and said, I want you to perform my wedding. Her daddy's a preacher. Maybe he's going to give her away. I don't know. And guess what? She's marrying a grandson, a step-grandson from down in Jacksonville. I've been preaching in Jacksonville for 30 years. His granddad was one of my best friends 30 years ago. And now he's a preacher and he's marrying that little girl and I get to do the wedding. And we're all in the family. We say brother and sister around here. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear. That's the way it ought to be. And there's something special about being in the family. I'll tell you that. Susie and I went last week. Somebody said, oh, it's foolish for y'all to drive all the way up there. We drove up to Borger, Texas. One of our brothers was having a funeral for his wife. He's been real close. She's been real close. We've been family. And it was just a special time with the family. And, and I'm, I, I don't begrudge. It was five hours up, five hours back. We spent two hours there for the service. And somebody said, what a waste of gas. No. What a love. That's what it is. What a, what a powerful moment together. You know, he, he preached his own wife's funeral. I, I saw that a time or two, but it was unique. He said, I've got a story I need to tell you. And he said, I've prayed God for grace to give it to you. We had the, her picture up here last week. I think he is with her, wasn't he? And, uh, and he talked about Somebody invited him to church. And he walked in the Sunday school class and went boy, oi, oi, oi. And she was in the Sunday school class. And then he, he brought us all the way from there to two kids, two careers, a surrender to the Lord. And and the years that they served at that camp up there is a powerful, powerful story. It's better than anything you can find on television set, I'll tell you that. He he told us the whole story. And ended it up with the thought, she's over there, but I'm going over there. We'll be back together over there that's a wonderful thing I don't know how I got y'all don't get me off subject like that <laughs> the pruning of the vine now I've got some demonstrations of of the brokenness I'm, I'm not going to let me just skim down through them. 
we've got to quit here in a minute. I want to get to a place. Uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 7, Midian was attacking the Israelites. Remember that? And there was a fellow named Gideon. Gideon, you remember Gideon was threshing wheat in the in the uh, wine press. Remember that? He was hid out. Uh, he was hid from the Midianites. And God said, sent a man in there to say, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And he said, who, me? You mean me? You got the wrong man. But he chose out Remember, he chose out the crowd and then God whittled it down, whittled it down. And verse 12 of chapter 7 of Judges. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the, all the children of the east lay along in a valley like grasshoppers for multitude. Their camels were without numbers a sand by the sea for multitude. And when, when Gideon was come, Behold, there was a man that told a dream to his fellow. And behold, I dreamed a dream, and a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into the tent and smote, smote it that it fell and overturned. And this, his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. For into his hand God hath delivered Midian, and all the hosts. That's the Midianites saying that. And when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation uh, thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. They're like grasshoppers without number. And, and Gideon has 300. And he said unto them in verse 17, Look on me and do... Uh, he put them in three countries. Uh, let me start in 16. He divided the 300 into three companies. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. He said, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that you'll do as I do. And when I blow the trumpet... And I and all that are with me, then blow your trumpet, and on also on every side, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and uh, and they twenty one. They stood every man around the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried. And I should have read twenty. And three companies blew trumpets and broke pitchers and held lamps in their hand. They broke the they broke the pitchers. And the lamps were on the inside. That left hand they held the pitcher. The right hand they held, I guess they beat that uh, vessel with the trumpet. That's a, I was trying to figure out how they could do it. And they got both hands full. But here's what they're doing. When they broke the vessel, the light shined. When they broke the vessel, the light of the Lord overtook 
he said that light was shining in the tent, didn't it? And so, uh, the broken pictures. We just, we're in the middle of a series on Matthew chapter 14 on the broken bread and the broken fish. I want to go over to Mark with you and just show you one. If you, I should read, let me read a verse in Matthew first. Matthew chapter 14. I want to read just this one little part. You already know it. Uh, they brought him five loaves and two fishes, remember? Now look at 19. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And you ought to, you ought to get it step by step. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples. Everyone, that's a Polish syndicate. That's that old English part of speech that divides. He, he looked up. He blessed. He broke. He, he gave the, uh, to his disciples and the, and the disciples to the multitude. Every one of them is a step. First thing had to happen. Look at it. Looking up to heaven. The Son of God looked in the eye of God the Father. The power's there, not here. The power is has got to be, you and I need to take it step by step. I'm, I'm preaching my Sunday message right now. <laughs> you got to look there before you look here. Once that power is on you, then look at it. He blessed. And Peter said, you ought to receive a blessing so you can be a blessing. Most of us want to receive a blessing and hover over it and hang on to it. But he said, Peter said, we receive a blessing in order to be a blessing. He blessed and what? Break. Okay. And then he gave the loaves and fed the crowd. Let's go over to Mark. Mark uh, chapter... 14. No. No, not 14. Mark chapter 8, verse 8. This is not the feeding of the 5,000. This is the feeding of the 4,000. And they've got seven loaves. Now look at number 6. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples. I want you to notice verse 8. So they did eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left. 
seven baskets. I've always, I've always took those seven baskets home with a little boy. But if you, if you study Matthew 14 and, and this passage, I've changed my mind. What Jesus gave his disciples for sustenance was broken meat. It's what we get, isn't it? I mean, none of us are millionaires. But, but over there in Luke, he said, give and, it, and you give and, and men shall give to your bosom Good measure, pressed down, running over. There's somebody out there driving a Cadillac that wants to help this church be the blessing that we want to be. Huh? How you going to do that, Cadillac? I'm going to give them my leftovers, the broken meat. You know, somebody, we, some of us men was talking about clothes the other day. I never had any clothes. I, when I moved to uh, Wichita Falls, I had about three suits. I preached every week out of one of those suits. Old Bill Jackson taught me a trick. Some of y'all don't know Bill. Some of you do. He was a good friend of Hugh Atkinson. They were tight. They were schoolmates. But, but Bill taught... I, I, Bill loved it when you would say, man, you look sharp today. And he would say, well, I gave $2 for those shoes and about uh, $4 for these pants and I'm wearing a 50 cent uh, shirt and, uh, and he'd run her down to about $20. He's standing there dressed like a, a king, you know. And so Susie said to his wife one day, she said, how do you always look so nice? She said, y'all come over, eat lunch with us, and we'll take you on a tour and show you. So we, they were at Bayshore Baptist Church in Houston at that time, and we went over, ate lunch with Bill and Joyce, and they took us on a tour of, second, of uh, resale shops. Susie said, don't call them secondhand stores. <laughs> resale shops. And, and taught us how to go in there and look for a bargain and come out wearing what you thought you couldn't afford to buy. That's broken meat. I've got more clothes in my closet than I've ever had before. I have, I've had, I'm having to cull down now because uh, we went into one of those resale shops. They call it an upscale resale over in Weatherford. We went in there. That lady who was running the thing found out I was a preacher and I was looking for a suit. She said, wait just a minute. And she went back to the manager. The manager came out and said, you can come back here and look through the suits. And uh, the lady who was running it said, it's never happened before, preacher. She, she let me back there on the suits that nobody had picked over. The ones they were saving for the next big splash. I wasn't really, I was looking for a suit for a big suit. 
for uh, that boy over uh, Russell. I, I was looking for Russell a suit, and I found him one in there, and uh, I gave it. He he was complaining about not ever having a jacket to wear. He had pants, but he, and anyway, I gave it to Russell. She didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I picked out the biggest suit they had and bought it for three dollars or something, and took it to Russell. It was a it was a lawyer suit. It was a first class suit. There wasn't any, you could, yeah, $300 probably wouldn't have bought it downtown. You know what it was? It was broken meat. I mean, if you read that, if you read, I marked this on my Bible. They took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. How many days you think those disciples ate on seven baskets? And there wasn't a piece of meat they picked up didn't have a tooth mark on it. It was broken meat. It's not just clothes. It's houses. It's a hundred other things. We come down here to the church and come in here looking like ragtags and before you know it, there's something about just being around the people of God in the house of God. My my neighbor come out the other day. We was going to church. She said, "Boy, you look nice." I said, "Thank you. I'm going to church." She I, that's the reason I'm dressed up. She said, "I wish my husband would dress up once in a while." I wish I, I wish she'd go to church with him. She'd find out how to how to get him to dress up. They've been here a time or two, but they don't come often. Don't you see that? Mm -hmm. I mean, we come in here tonight. Look at old brother Sayar. <laughs> he's got his first class jeans on. He's got them leather straps on him. Hey, he, we look pretty good, don't we, brother? <laughs> look, at, hey, look, go over and look at those used cars he's got. God give them to him. It's broken meat, right? Not one of them knew. It's broken meat. I know, I, you know, I remember a day when, it, when it, at revival time, I would get embarrassed over my crowd. You know, back then they was preaching against everything at moved or and you know if you didn't have just the right dress the right haircut the right this that and the other there was something wrong y'all have heard some of the messages you know what I'm talking about and I was the pastor I knew how I knew what kind of sad shape some of my people came out of I mean I knew some of them people that we carried groceries to so they could have a Thanksgiving dinner. I knew some people that that just just toughed it out. God didn't give us rich people. God gave us poor people. And it was kind of embarrassing when that guy came in and preached about setting the standard way up here. What I didn't realize is God can make you fit the standard He wants you to fit. God can put you where He needs you to be. 
And don't be ashamed of where you are. God, hey, if you had if you had on that lawyer's suit that old Russell got, you might not be able to talk to anybody in this neighborhood. But you can go out there with your blue jeans on and your leather straps and everybody will want to talk to you. God uses broken meat. I gotta I gotta go on. I'd like to spend some more, more time there. The so the bread and the fish. They don't show the light of God, they show the glory of God. And then there's one more place to go, and that's over in chapter 14 of Mark. When you get there, we're down at the Pharisees' house. The Pharisees are there. The Jews are there. The disciple band is there. Jesus himself is there, but he won't be there long. It's two days till Passover. Jesus has been preaching from Luke chapter 9, verse 51, all the way through that book of Luke. Jesus has been preaching a crucified Savior who must die, be abused, the blood will have to be shed, be buried, and rise again. All these Jews are here. They're the Bible people. The Pharisees, the most religious, none of us know as much about the Bible as the Pharisees did. They memorized the first five books of the law and the Psalms and Proverbs. They knew that Bible. But when, but when they said, when they said, where's he that's born king of the Jews? They had no idea. They had a prejudiced view of the Bible. Some of us got a prejudiced view of the Bible. We've got our own ideas about what the Bible says. Open it up and let it speak to you. That's the only way to understand it. So all, the, all of the hierarchy of the priesthood is there. And all of those Bible students who have been walking with Jesus three and a half years are there. And out of all that crowd, here's my, here's my interpretation, there is one little girl that has understood the preaching and responded to the Savior. One. Her name is Mary. If you search it out, Lazarus is her provisor, her provi- provider. There's no welfare system. She depends on Lazarus to make a living for her and her sister. That's the tragedy of John chapter 11 when, when Lazarus is dead. Martha has a house. Mary doesn't have a house. She doesn't have anything. Only time you see her, three times in the New Testament, you see her at the feet of Jesus. She's there to listen. He's going to say to Mary in Luke chapter 10, she's chosen the good part. And it will not be taken away from her. You understand it? 
There's a time to shut up, sit down, and let Jesus speak to your heart. You're going to need it somewhere. When you find a treasured verse in this Bible, you ought to rejoice in your heart. You're going to need it somewhere. He doesn't waste his word. You're going to need what he gives you. Secondly, she's at his feet. Martha is rebuking. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. She falls at his feet. All the Jews are weeping. She, in complete abandonment of who she is, falls at his feet and worships the Savior. You come to this passage. The Pharisees invited him in, but he hadn't provided. The disciples are there, but they're going to argue about 300 pence. Look at this verse. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. As he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. They're going to say, they're going to say a year's wages. 300 pence, one, one penny a day was the wage. And if you take time off for holidays and vacations, 300 pence is a year's wages. And she break the box. Oh, old Jerry probably says this every week. Don't bring anything back off the field. Leave it all out there on the field. That's an athletic saying, sports saying. But he described, hey, she, she hasn't done one thing yet, but she broke the box. She was not taking anything back home. This was probably her dowry. It's all that you find in the Bible she ever owned is this box. How could she have a year's wages box of ointment? Well, somebody, somebody of, with some money had to give it to her. That was probably dad or brother. And she's supposed to flaunt that and say, look, boys, what you get when you get me. That was the idea of the dowry. But she broke the box. Out of all these folks, he said she had done what she could in a place of hostility, in a place of ignorance, in a place of, of her brokenness, in a place of complete submission to the Savior. She has anointed me for my burial. She has done what she could do. 
that brokenness is only brokenness when we've done what we can do. She didn't waste the ointment. He said, he said, uh, wherever the gospel preached throughout the whole world, this also that she's done will be spoken as a memorial of her. The breaking. Down through the years, I've found out my wife's much, easily, much more easily broken than I am. I'm a tightwad and a skin flint and a self-server. And she'll give you the shirt off my back if you ask her. <laughs> Every one of us have to come to a place of brokenness if we serve the Lord. If there's any fruit, we'll have to be broken. If there's any joy, we'll have to be broken. If there's any power or glory, it will have to be broken. He gave all those examples just for us. That we might be that vessel that would be the vessel of honor fit for the master's use. It'll take a breaking. Sometimes it's a broken heart. Sometimes it's a broken pride. Sometimes it's it's a broken uh, position, but it'll take a breaking if we are used of God. Well, let's pray. Father, I just ask you to have your way with us. Lord, we need you so much. I pray Ben Anson, he's just starting. I ask you, Lord, that you'd make it so that he is, he is, this breaking would produce fruit and joy and power of prayer in his life. Lord, I ask you for every one of us that we might be that family member who cares about others, prays for others, seeks others to fellowship with us as we fellowship with the Lord. Please have your way with us and direct us, each one, working our inward parts to make us what you'd have us to be. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> well, we're late again. <laughs>